Turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 12. read this in just a few moments, so let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, come upon us that our eyes might be opened to what it is that you have for us today, that we might see with clarity why you have given us this grace, why you have given us this love in the person of Jesus Christ, and what it is you now call us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I uh, became a Christian in 1977, I wasn't particularly looking to do so. It was not on my heart. I mean, I was in the midst of something uh, that was uh, decidedly Christian, but I was doing things that were decidedly not Christian, and the Lord uh, laid his hand upon me and opened my eyes to my need for salvation. Now, did he open my eyes to any great theological truths? Did he... um, teach me at that moment the distinction between uh, supra and infralapsarianism? Did he uh, teach me the mystery of the Trinity? Um, No, I'm still waiting on a couple of those. Uh, He's going to teach me on some things. But um, what I knew at that moment was that I was sinful and I needed forgiveness. And the forgiveness that I needed could only come through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I really didn't understand any other doctrine. I knew David in the lion's den, and I knew Daniel. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did, obviously, I didn't know David in the lion's den. Uh, <laughs> I knew Daniel in the lion's den, and I knew David and Goliath, and I knew Noah, and I knew about Abraham. And uh, I could probably, at that point, yeah, I'd do the Lord's Prayer, uh, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the 23rd Psalm. I'm sure there were Ten Commandments. I had all those memorized. But I didn't know who Jesus Christ was. I didn't know forgiveness. Certainly didn't know what else he had in store for me. Now, I understood that, that when I was saved, when my eyes were opened, when I received Christ, that grace had been given to me. And this grace, as I was told and as I began to learn, was free. That this grace was not something that I could earn. That it was not something that if I would go through my checklist and and check off the boxes, that I would be in right standing with the Lord. As I began to read through some of the Old Testament things, I saw that uh, very often uh, that's what it had become in, 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 uh, through some of the Old Testament things and into the Pharisees in the New Testament was the fact that if I do these things, then God will love me and will receive me. Well, that's not Certainly what Paul talks about. That's not what Jesus talks about. He talks about grace and this grace being bestowed upon me. And in fact, he even talks about it being a free gift because if it was something that I earned, then I could boast in it. We've looked at Ephesians chapter 2 previously. Well, I did not think that Christianity was a list of do's and don'ts because I was raised on grace in my early years of Christ. We are saved by grace. It is given to us by God through the work of Christ. Grace by its nature is undeserved. 
Salvation does not hinge on my adherence to any great list of things that I go through every day in my Bible, and I say, well, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done that, so I still must be in good standing with the Lord. No, that is not the way it works. There's no rules that we have to follow to stay in grace. Now, that being said, this week I looked through Scripture and I found a surprisingly large number of things that we are commanded to do. Now, when I say commanded, it says very clearly, you shall do this. You will do this. The Lord commands that you do this. Now, now, how do we balance this out? Isn't grace free? Yes. Isn't grace undeserved? Yes. Is grace ever earned? No. But we are commanded by our Heavenly Father and by other authors in Scripture, by Christ himself, by Paul, by the other apostles, to do these things. Now, as an introduction, these things are never done to merit grace, are never done to earn the love of Christ, but these things are done in response to what we have received. We have received this wonderful gift of grace. Now we are commanded to live in a way that is different, that is different. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian in the 30s and 40s and eventually was was killed by uh, Hitler uh, towards the end of World War II, uh, coined a phrase, it was called cheap grace. Cheap grace. Those who thought they could get to heaven by grace and simply go on the coattails, in the sense, of Christ. Okay, Never having to do anything, never having to change their life, never having to live in a fashion that was different or a fashion that was called uh, by, for according to Scripture, but they could receive that grace and simply go, yes, now I'm on my way to heaven. Okay, Almost, as we would say, fire insurance or something like that. Now, God does the saving. He doesn't ask us if we want to be saved. He doesn't consult us in the best way that would work out, that we would receive salvation. He saves us. He gives us life. And in response to that gift of grace, in response to that salvation, he says, now here, here's how your life should look now. Now, the life that we live neither adds nor subtracts to our salvation. It does affect, in a sense, to what we have to offer the Lord, how it is we have been faithful with what he has given to us. Now, here's the list that I found. Now, I've taken this from a lot of sources, uh, so there might be more. Uh, No guarantee that I didn't miss anything. The commandments of what we are commanded to do because we have received grace. There are the Ten Commandments. There are the two greatest commandments. There is the New Commandments from Jesus. There are 24 ways in which Jesus expands on the Ten Commandments. There are four commandments for the Gentile converts. There are 55 commands towards those that how we are to act towards those who are unconverted. There are 50 commands of ways to please God. 80 commands by Jesus on how we are to relate to one another. 74 commands by Paul on how the body of Christ is to interact. 29 commands by the other apostles about how we are to treat one another within the body of Christ. Eight commands concerning how we are to relate to demons. Not, not that we're to relate like this, but how we deal with demons, okay? Ten commands concerning how we treat our families. And seven commands concerning how church leaders are to act and to function. Those commands of that number range from anywhere from do not commit premeditated murder. That's the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. 
to keep yourselves in the love of God. Greet one another with a kiss. Do not defraud a brother. Make sure to care for the widows and the orphans. Those kind of the breadth of the commands. Now, if you weren't keeping track, uh, those amount to 375 commands. Okay, now I went, that's why we have those blank pages in the back of our Bible, right? So that we can check and see, did I do all 375 today? Not quite. Not quite. Grace might be free, but the, but the life that we are called to live as believers is to look so different from the world around us that we are to be considered as strangers in this world. Strangers, those who don't belong. Now, uh, if you go somewhere, um, let's say you're invited to a, uh, a party and you don't know anybody there. and You've never been to that house before, but you're a friend of a friend and you have been invited. And you walk into that house, you have that look on your face, right? Like this, we call it the deer in the headlights. You walk in, you don't know where you're going, you're trying to find somebody that you know that you can latch on to and go over and say, oh, well, hi, how you doing? Now you feel a little bit more comfortable. That's, in a sense, the way that we are to be in this world, strangers. This is not our home. We're on the way home. But while we're here, we are commanded to live in a different fashion, so different that we look a little odd. Not that we don't get along in the world. Not that we aren't integrated in all aspects of society, but in the midst of that integration, we never lose the fact that we are Christians first. We are salesmen second. We are teachers second. We are lawyers second, doctors, whatever it be. We are Christians first. And that taints everything that we are to do. So therefore, we are to look a little bit different. Maybe even a little bit odd according to the rest of the world. We have been blessed by the Lord. And because of that blessing, we are called to live in a fashion that is different. What better place to look than Genesis chapter 12? Because this gives us the insight into why it is the Lord chose and called Abraham. There's a purpose here. It's not just an arbitrary selection. There is a particular purpose in why the Lord chooses Abraham. Chapter 12, let me read the first four verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that is the main portion. Verse 4 is just kind of an addition there for our purposes. So Abraham went forth, just as the Lord had spoken to him. And Abraham went forth. So here was the command, go for this purpose. And what did Abraham do? Did he debate with the Lord? Did he say to the Lord, is that your best plan? Can't you come up with something different? I mean, something that is easier for me to do. I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm ingrained in my society here. I've got my family. Uh, I've got a little business here. Things are going real well. And the Lord says, I want you to leave all that. I've got other plans for you. And, and, and Abraham doesn't even ask, where are those plans? Because the Lord hasn't told him where they are. Remember, it's in a land which I will show you. Now, Abraham, next to Jesus, is probably the most important person in the Bible. Okay? Probably the most important person in the Bible. 
The first 11 chapters of Genesis of Genesis are given to roughly the first, uh, I don't know, if you want to be chronological, uh, probably 2,000 years of existence. Let's, let's put that figure on it. 2,000 years of existence. The first 11 chapters. The creation. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. There was nothing but the Lord and the Godhead. And he said, let there be light. And there was this and there was that. There were no raw materials with which the Lord created. He simply spoke and it was. So you have 11 chapters devoted to all of this. And then you have Abraham and his life and his descendants, chapters 12 through 36, approximately 175 years or so. Okay, you get 2,000 years, you get 11 chapters, 14 chapters for Abraham. Now, if you look at the Gospels, 33% of all the Gospel material is devoted to the last seven days of the life of Christ. The last seven days. Now, he was here for three, three and a half years, right? Seven days, 33%. You think that 33% of the material in the Gospels is important? You think those last seven days are really important? What happens in those last seven days? The triumphal entry, the Last Supper, the crucifixion, the resurrection. Okay? Important things in the life of the church, certainly. Well, here we have in the first couple verses here of chapter 12, we find the reason that Abraham has been chosen and what he has called to do. This is an oath that the Lord swears, and it is fulfillment, and its fulfillment is found over in Luke chapter 1. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 1. We'll see that here. Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 72. This promise and this covenant that is made with Abraham in chapter 12 that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, is fulfilled here in Luke chapter 1, verse 72 and 73. Uh, I'll read uh, verse 68 first. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. I'll jump to 72. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. See, Abraham had this covenant fulfilled, and it wasn't fulfilled in any other way except by the Lord and his promises. Now, Abraham, the blessing that Abraham was to receive was to be, what, descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven, as the sands of the sea. Now, Abraham took that and ran with it himself, and he thought, well, maybe the Lord means my nephew Lot. So he tried to have Lot as his beneficiary, and the Lord said no. So Abraham and Sarah got together, and Sarah was uh, too old to have children, so um, she said, well, here's my handmaiden. Let's have a child there. So they tried that, and out came Ishmael. And the Lord said, no, that is not it. It will be with you and with Sarah. Sarah being way past childbearing age. So the only possible explanation, if she was going to have a child, was the fact that the Lord would do it. Now, the Lord would do it, would produce descendants as numerous as the stars, and it would be for his glory, and all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This is the promise of the Lord. Turn back to the early chapters of Matthew. In fact, the first chapter of Matthew. 
We want to know why genealogies are so important, why they take up so many chapters in Scripture. We have the first couple chapters of Matthew, nothing but genealogies. We see it in Luke. We see it in uh, some of the Old Testament. We see it in Chronicles, uh, in particular, these long genealogies, and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so. We come to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it begins with Abraham, the one with whom the covenant was made, that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And when is that blessing fulfilled? It is fulfilled in the coming of Christ. It is fulfilled in the coming of Christ. That's why he is listed as the starting point of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew wants us to understand very clearly this is the covenant of the Lord. This is the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All right. So why did the Lord choose Abraham as the conduit of blessing for the entire world? Turn over to Romans chapter 3. We're going to be there in just a moment. Why choose Abraham? What was it within Abraham that gave the Lord such confidence in this individual that he should be the one that he would bless and then Abraham would turn around and be a blessing for the entire world? Was there anything in his character? Was there anything um, that the Lord saw within Abraham that earned him this? Well, no, of course there was not. Abraham was no better off or nor worse off than the rest of creation. We know from the early days of, of Noah, when every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. Jeremiah talks about the man's heart. He says, who can understand it? It's totally evil. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. He says, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who, who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throats an open grave. Their tongues keep deceiving. This is humanity. Outside of God's grace, this is what we are. Okay? Unless God's grace has come into your life, you're not righteous. Before I became a Christian, I was not righteous. So I was a good guy. But I was certainly not righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham was no pillar of virtue when the Lord called him. He was a pagan. Uh, He was called out of paganism. Even after the Lord had made this promise with him, what did Abraham do? He said, you know what, Sarah, when we get into this land, you're so good looking. I want you to tell everybody you're my sister, okay, so that they don't come and kill me so that they can take you. So what happens? Oh, Pharaoh comes along and says, man, she's good looking. Will you come and be in my harem? And uh, what did Abraham say? Nothing, okay? And it wasn't until the Lord visited him that, that there was all kinds of trouble, and he turns and says, why didn't you tell me he was, she was your wife? Well, I was afraid. So the Lord delivers him in the midst of this. And what does Abraham do? Oh, a couple chapters later, he turns around and does the same thing. You'd think that he would learn, but no, he did not learn. He did not learn. And Sarah, I don't want to blame her for anything, but you'd think she'd get tired of getting passed off as his sister just to save his own skin. Abraham was a pagan idolater from a pagan city whom God made a covenant with. The Lord told him to leave his family, leave his surroundings, leave all that was and go that way. I'll show you where you're supposed to be. Let me give you a quick chronology of Abraham's life. He was 75 years old when he entered Canaan. 
We told that we was 86 when Ishmael was born, 99 when the sign of circumcision was given. He was 100 when Isaac was born. He was anywhere from 115 to 125 when he was commanded to take Isaac and sacrifice him. He was 137 when Sarah died. He was 140 when Isaac married, and he was 175 when he died. And what portion of this great promise, this great covenant that the Lord made with him, what portion did he see fulfilled? One son. Not a full quiver, not a whole bunch of little ones running around. You think after 175 years he could have produced quite a number of kids. He's got one son whom the promise is going to go through. Now, did Abraham doubt? Did Abraham never think that the Lord would fulfill this? He had this son. And he was willing to give the Lord back that son and to sacrifice him. But the Lord stayed his hand and said, I know you wouldn't even keep Isaac for me now. I know that now. So when the call of the Lord went to Abraham, it wasn't as if, in modern terms, the Lord gave him this PowerPoint presentation with cool slides and the fading in and the fading out and the music underneath and all this saying, Abraham, this is the land I'm going to promise you. Here's the beachfront property. Okay, here's the cool swimming pool, uh, you know, and all that. There were no warm fuzzies there. He said, leave and go. Leave and go. God is the sovereign God who calls men and women to things that are far beyond themselves. Far beyond themselves. If God called us to easy things that we could achieve ourselves, then what? We, we really wouldn't need his help, would we? If he called us to only things that we liked or things that we enjoyed, things that brought us personal pleasure, temporary happiness, then the Christian life would be a breeze. A breeze. But... Take what the Lord called Abraham to do. He didn't say, Abraham, if you'd like a happier life, I've got a plan for you. He didn't say that. He commanded him, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land which I will show you. And what are you going to do there, Lord? I will bless you. And you will be a blessing. That's the purpose of Abraham being called. Abraham's 75 years old, somewhere around there. And the Lord says, I want you to uproot all that you are, all that you know. Okay? Now, for those of you who are 75 or older, you don't have to raise your hand and tell us. Okay? But think of it. If the Lord came to you and said, here it is. I know you have all these roots. I know you think you're on... You know, the cruise time of life, but I want you to pick up and move. And I'm not even going to tell you where to go, but I'm going to bless you there. And you will be a blessing to the entire world, to the entire world. What would you say? Oh, Lord, are you serious? Are you really want me to do that? I can't believe that. Don't you have something easier? Don't you have plan B that I could opt into? No. He says, I'll be your God. He doesn't say, I'll be your God and you can stay in her. He doesn't say, I'm going to be your God and you can use your family contacts and we'll, we'll build the kingdom right there. He says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to go. And you're going to bless people in a capacity that you cannot even fathom at this point. Now, travel in those days wasn't easy. There are no motels, no fast food restaurants, no interstate highways, no U-Haul trucks. When Abraham left, odds are he was never going home again. 
He was never going to see those people again. He couldn't call back on the cell phone and say, I arrived safely. Couldn't call back and say, hey, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. You all ought to get out here. None of that. He had to say goodbye once and for all to his country, his family, all that he had ever known, just to obey God. The only way that we can really follow God's call is by taking God at his word. Remember verse 4? What did it say? And Abraham went. Abraham went. He went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Abraham believed what God said and he acted upon it. Now there are always those who claim, I believe God, I believe in God, I believe with my whole heart, that is until the Lord wants them to do something that's out of their comfort zone or out of what they think is appropriate until they have to act on it. Abraham, leaving everything that he knew was out of his comfort zone, man, it was way out. But he was obedient to the Lord. Some believers will balk at acting on the Lord's command, even if it's out of the the smallest bit, out of what they think is the norm. But then there are others who will jump at it. I mean, several people from this congregation, when we were going down to Mexico, down to Hill, they came to me and said, oh, Randy, I would so love to go down there and serve with you. But you know what? My body just will not allow me to do that. Age, physical disability, whatever it was, their hearts were there, but their bodies just weren't up to it. You know, that's exciting to hear people saying, I want to go. I want to be obedient. I want to serve. What can I do? What can I do? Now, maybe you're sitting in the pew thinking, oh, this is not some sermon about leaving everything I own and going out to a place that I've yet to be determined, is it? You know, how can I get a faith like that? No, that isn't what I'm asking anybody to do today. I'm asking you to think, this is not about your faith. This is about the object of your faith. This is about the object of our faith. This is about the God who has created all things. This is about the God who calls us, just like Abraham, I am going to bless you. We've been blessed in Jesus Christ. We've been blessed with this grace. But he doesn't expect us to live it out quietly. He doesn't expect us to live out this great gift of salvation in the back rooms. He expects us to live it out here, out in front. He expects us to be a blessing in this world. To be a blessing in this world. Turn over to 1 John chapter 5. Right back there in front of Revelation, 1 John chapter 5. He tells Abraham, I will show you the land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. You'd think Abraham could trust the Lord who had all this going, who had this confidence. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. If we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his son. The short version of that is, you trust man? Why won't you trust God even more? He is the one who has created all things. He is the one who has given us his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. 
because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. There's no in-between. You got the life or you don't have the life. If you got the life, then you're called to be a blessing. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. So what do we do with this? Well, it is our great privilege that God has given this to us. It is this great privilege that he, like us, like Abraham, has blessed us in the person of Christ. One last thing I want you to turn to. Go to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. We who are sitting here, who are believers, who have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, are children of Abraham. We are part of that blessing that Abraham received and was to the world. As it was ultimately fulfilled in Christ, we are heirs to that promise. And we are under an obligation not to bottle up that blessing, not to bottle up that promise, but to put it to work. Christ's command upon us to make disciples, to care for those, to minister to those who are the least of these, all of those things, these are part of the commands that we referenced earlier this morning. Second Kings chapter 7, Elisha the prophet in the northern kingdom, Samaria, the Syrians have come against this great city in Samaria. Everybody is locked up there. There's famine. Uh, this is the portion in, in chapter 6. We have uh, two women who uh, decide that, okay, we'll eat your child today, and then tomorrow we'll eat my child. And the one they eat the one child because the famine is so severe, and then the woman hides hers so that they can't eat theirs. That's how bad this famine is. They're eating their children. Verse 3 of chapter 7. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, well, why do we sit here until we die? Remember, the lepers weren't allowed in the city. They were outside the gate. If we say, we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall die. Basically, they said, we're going to die one way or another. Let's go where we have a chance. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and they fled for their life. These Syrians, the Arameans, who were so strong had come upon this city, and now they ran away because they heard some noises they thought were an approaching army, but it was the Lord. Verse 8. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from their silver and gold and clothes. And they went and hid them, and they returned and entered another tent, and carried from there also, and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, Now understand, they're eating their children back in the city. And here are the lepers. 
And they've stumbled upon this great gift. Verse 9. We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Look what we have found. Look at this treasure that we have. Look at this blessing that the Lord has bestowed upon us. If we keep it to ourselves, we're in big trouble. We have got to go back and tell the city where they're eating their own children because the famine is so great. And that's what they do. The lepers go back. See, they, they experience the blessing. And they went to those who were in need of it. And they went back and told them the good news. There's life out there. There's food out there. There is the gift from the Lord. He has defeated that army that held us captive to the point where we were eating our own children. Now let's go and experience that blessing. And that's what they did. Friends, can we hold the blessings that we have received in our hearts? Can we, can we keep them to ourselves? Can we keep the things of Christ only in our midst? No, we cannot. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, those who have our sin forgiven, who have called upon us, the Lord has called upon us to be a blessing to those around us. That means we have to live out the things of Christ. Are we like the lepers? And we have found the great blessing. I want to tell you what, we have found it. Are we going to go tell those who are in desperate need of it? Are we going to go and demonstrate it in our actions that this is the answer to all that they have sought. The longings of their hearts, the emptiness in their lives, that Christ is it. And we have the chance to bless them in word and in deed. Let's pray. Lord, how so difficult just even to get our minds around some of these things, Lord. This call upon Abraham... One man that you said you would use to bless all the nations of the earth. And in his lifetime, despite his weakness, he found that blessing in the life of one son that you said the promise would go through. And that promise has gone and we are a result of that. For we have received some portion of that blessing because we have heard of the things of Christ. We have been recipients of that saving grace. Our lives have been changed. Now, Lord, you call us to the same thing that you will use us to bless those around us. How is it that we should live in order to do that, Lord? Show us from your word. Show us from the world around us. Don't let us be satisfied with holding this blessing into ourselves. Like the lepers, we cannot be satisfied just eating it ourselves. Enjoying those fruits and and hiding them away in our tents. We must be demonstrators of this grace. We must impact the world around us and be that blessing because you have blessed us. Lord, show us these things. Make our hearts restless until we are there. Make our hearts desire to demonstrate these things, for we cannot hold them in. Speak to us, Lord. Show us these things, that we might be a blessing.
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. He giveth more grace when our burdens are greater. 112. Let's stand and sing 112. 